Bye Bye Baby and Target. OC Children's Ministry has an immediate need for an admin assistant approximately 24 hours a week, responsible for communicating with volunteers, parents, guests, staff, and providing various administrative assistance to the Children's Ministry team. Please contact Melanie at OtterCreek.org if interested. Um, prayer concerns? Nothing's on here. Anything from y'all to mention? All right, so let me open this up with prayer, and I'll hand it over to George. Uh, Father, as we study your word today, help us to be open to hearing it speak to our hearts and our lives uh, so that we might more fully and more faithfully follow you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here today. We are going to do a bit of a scripture chase today. So um, we're going to be going to a couple different passages. Um, so we don't always do that, try to stay in Romans, but uh, I think it may help to get a few things on the table if we chase a few passages down. Um, a few things I want to say, and this is this is a little bit of a review if you've been in the class, but we can't assume that everybody's been here every time. Um, so I want to say a little bit about the righteousness of God and a way of understanding that that has helped me, I think, put Romans together in a, in a better way than I have before. Um, so sometimes I've understood that as the righteousness of God is God's holiness and perfection that the, he then gives to people. And part of the reason that I think that is because I read the NIV, and the NIV tilts toward that interpretation. And I, I typically like the NIV. It's the one, the translation I typically use in general. Uh, but in Romans, I'm finding it's not always the best, uh, in my opinion, which is the correct opinion. So, um, um, but if you think about the righteousness of God instead as God's covenant faithfulness or God's way of making people or the world right. I think it's going to help us uh, understand Romans better. And what's going to help us understand Romans 4 is that his, his whole plan of making the world right started with uh, Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, so we're going to go back and look at our chapter 12 and then 14. We're going to go back and look uh, at a little bit of Genesis chapter 14. But in, Gen in Romans chapter 3, verse 22, well, 21 and 22, I, I think is where the NIV makes um, a mistake in how it translates the Greek here. So uh, 3.21 says, Now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. And we're going to prove that by going back and looking at Genesis. So that would be the law. Um, so Paul is, is, it's important to him that the Old Testament story supports what he's saying. Um, and then the NIV says this righteousness in verse 22 is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And the, there's no word in the Greek for given. That's a strong... Usually if there's no word, no verb supplied in the Greek, we, we might suggest is or something like that. Kind of a, a word that's, you know, if, if you want to say the righteousness is through faith, 
But it's a strong word to add to say is given. Why go that direction? And so if you think about, you know, this is kind of law court imagery, this justification language, uh, righteousness language. If God is the righteous judge, we think about, just think about that imagery. If God is a judge, a righteous judge is one who judges rightly with justice, who is impartial. Um, and when the judge declares somebody to be innocent or not guilty or justified, uh, that doesn't, the judge isn't giving his righteousness to the person. He's just proclaiming that person as righteous. Does that make sense to you? So it doesn't really help us, I think, to, to think of that God is giving his righteousness to people. He's declaring us righteous on the basis of our faith in Christ, um, the Jewish Messiah. So I think that uh, that's just an unfortunate translation there to say is given. Does anybody have a different translation? Uh, what does your translation say in, in Romans 3.22? The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all Yeah, it doesn't even supply the verb. Is that what other people have if you don't have the we NIV? We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. You That's good. So, uh, sometimes they say, you know, I'm, I know Josh Graves in a sermon will say, underline a word in your Bible. Uh, should we just cross out a word? Can we do that? It's crossed out in mind. <laughs> you crossed out the word given. So, if you have the NIV, you might just want to either circle question mark or highlight it with a, a black magic marker, which would be the same as crossing it out. Um, so the reason I think this helps us is all through, as we've seen through Romans 1 to 3, his point is not just how can people have their sins forgiven so they can go to heaven when they die, uh, which is typically how we read Romans 3, 21 to 26. Um, Paul never talks about going to heaven when you die. Shocker. Uh, in Romans chapter 8, he talks about the whole creation being renewed and that's where he's going to lead he's leading to Romans chapter 8 uh, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ for we have received the spirit which allows us to keep put to death the deeds of the flesh and to do the deeds of the spirit um, so his concern Paul's concern I think is not about where you go when you die his concern is about how you live your life through the Spirit, which is going to make it where there's no condemnation for you when the final judgment comes. And the wrath of God is revealed at the final judgment. Okay, so that's just a little background. I think this really helps, for example, with Romans chapter 3, verse 28. <clears throat> for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from observing the law. So... We're all good with that. And then verse 29, the, the Greek says, Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. The reason that Paul focuses on justification by faith is so that we can have Gentiles in the family of God. It's not about going to heaven when you die. It's so that Jews and Gentiles can sit at the same table and eat together. 
Um, unfortunately, the NIV leaves out the word or for some reason at the beginning of verse 29, which kind of makes it less connected to what he just said. It should be connected. Or is God the God of Jews only? So if you're just reading Romans about salvation by faith uh, so that you can go to heaven, you're wondering, why does he keep bringing up Jews and Gentiles all the time? That's, you know, that's not relevant. But for Paul, it's very relevant. And I think this helps us with Romans chapter 4 because he's going to talk about Abraham as one who was justified by faith. Not just, uh, you know, if you read it the, the way I used to read it, it's just, well, he's an example of somebody who was justified by faith just like we are. But if you read it this way, it's more of, no, Paul's going back to how, how does God, what's God's plan for making the world right? And it's, it goes back through Abraham. You have to be in the family of God. And to be in the family of God, you have to have faith because Abraham is the father of everybody who has faith, not just those who are physically descended from Abraham and are circumcised, but even Gentiles who have faith. Okay. So let's get right into um, chapter, well, let's go back to Genesis 15, just to make sure we're all, I don't want to assume you all went to Sunday school and paid attention and remember all the stories from the Old Testament, although I'm sure everybody in this class probably did, or you wouldn't be in a class on Romans. You'd be in one of those other classes where they're talking about practical stuff. (laughs) So... um, Okay, just the, the whole thing of Genesis, of course, you've got Genesis 1, creation. Uh, human beings are given a vocation to tend the garden and worship God and relationship with God. Uh, that situation gets broken uh, through idolatry and sin. Uh, things spiral, get worse and worse. Um, there's a flood story in chapter 6, um, which is kind of a fresh start. And... Um, that goes bad again. Um, it's mentioned in the, the sermon today about Noah getting drunk in his tent right after the flood. Um, and then you have uh, chapter 11 of Genesis where you have the Tower of Babel and people are trying not to spread out and fulfill their vocation. Let's just make a name for ourselves here. Um, and so then in chapter 12 we have the call of Abram or Abraham. And uh, 12 verse 1 the Lord had said to Abram go from your country your people your father's household to the land I will show you I will make you a great nation I will bless you I will make your name great you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you so the promise isn't just to Abraham the promise is also through Abraham through Abraham the whole world will be blessed Um, then Genesis chapter 15 after this the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision do not be afraid Abram I am your shield your very great reward that word reward is going to be important in Romans chapter 4 but Abraham Abram said and this I this is a whiny voice Lord what can you give me since I remain childless the ones going to inherit you know that's that's not a very good whiny voice I can't do a whiny voice but um He's whining. He's, he's, yeah. <laughs> I don't usually complain. I don't complain. <laughs> if only that were true. Um, 
You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. So um, God says, go outside, look up at the sky, see all the stars. Uh, if you can count them, so shall your offspring be. So that's a lot of, lot of offspring. And um, it seems like, and see if you think there's a possibility that Abraham, since he's going to bless all nations, that this is a clue that it's going to be bigger than just his own descendants. His own descendants are going to be used to bless people that aren't physically related if he's going to bless all the nations. And then uh, verse, the very next verse, verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Uh, Then God, you know, has a covenant ceremony where he builds this covenant with Abraham And then uh, in chapter 17 is where we get the circumcision as a sign of that covenant. So um, let's go back to Romans chapter 4 with that background. That's the the verse, the passage that Paul is referring to. And I think he's pulling bits from the whole story when he talks in Romans chapter 4. Chapter 4 verse 1 starts off with a difficult verse to translate in Greek. Um, it works either way, but I think most translations, well, I just, anyway, there's another way you can translate it. We'll talk about it. Um, what then shall we say that Abraham, the forefather of us Jews, oh, that's so bad. There's no Jews, there's no Jews in the Greek. Yeah, I know. I shouldn't complain about the NIV. I love the NIV in other places, though. Uh, discovered in this matter. Um, so our forefather Abraham who's the IR is it Jews or is it the whole family of God Jews and Gentiles together is a question and um, the way the the Greek works you're not sure who's the subject of the verb found and so another way of understanding this is what shall we say have we found Abraham to be our forefather according to the flesh And I think that's kind of what he's going to discuss. How can Abraham be the forefather of both Jews and Gentiles uh, when the Jews are the only ones related to him in the flesh? And he wasn't Jewish. That's right. He wasn't Jewish, uh, technically. Um, Yes, good point. Um, Look at Romans chapter 9. This is going to come back again in Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. So just skip ahead because I think it shows that this is what's in Paul's mind. Romans 9, 6 to 8, It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Not because, nor because are they his descendants, are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. So, Paul's whole point about bringing up Abraham is to say, Father Abraham had many sons. And um, these, these sons, these children are not all Jews. Yes? One thing that's really fascinating to me, if you look at Genesis 12 and the whole story of Abraham, it's not just uh, DNA-connected people, because when Abraham leaves Haran, servants, he's got slaves who are not 
Hebrew. Yeah. And then when he goes to Egypt, he's given others who by the Pharaoh. And so this, the whole band is actually taken into this promise, even though they're not necessarily related to him. So another clue that Abraham's family is going to be bigger than just natural, physical descendants. Good. Okay, let's keep reading Romans uh, chapter 4. Uh, verse 2. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. You notice they're using accounting terms here. Yeah. Credited. I mean, you need accountants to explain this. You do need accountants. <laughs> I think Philip wants to explain it. Well, I guess you could use this to say God is an accountant. I mean, he's the ultimate, the great accountant. He's keeping the books, seeing if your debits or credits are matching. (laughs) No, it is an accounting term. Hilton is correct on that. Um, Okay, I want to pause. We're going to go faster. I promise we're not just going to cover two verses. But... um, (coughs) This phrase, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. We just read that in Genesis chapter 15. Uh, That phrase is only used one other time in the whole Old Testament. And uh, so I want us to chase this down. Look at Psalm 106. I think it's going to help us. I hope the payoff is worth it. Uh, Psalm 106, verse 31. Um, we need to get a little bit of the context. So Psalm 106, verse 28. He's talking about the children of Israel. They, they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor, and ate sacrifices offered to lifeless gods. They aroused the Lord's anger by their wicked deeds, and a plague broke out among them. But Phineas stood up and intervened, which is an interesting word for what he did, if you know, when we go to the real story. He intervened. And the plague was checked. This was credited to him as righteousness for endless generations to come. So let's look now at Numbers 25. It's, it's not a pretty story. Um, I heard a teacher say one time, um, somebody brought up a children's Bible and she said, there shouldn't be a children's Bible. There are things in the Bible that are not for children which was a shock to me because I was like, yeah, we need children's Bibles. But some of these Old Testament stories are not, not, you know, it's not written for children. Is that blasphemous to say? Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Um, so they're cavorting with uh, Moabite women. Um, there's a man, an Israelite man in verse 6, brings the Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses, the whole assembly. Uh, Phineas in verse 7, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest saw this. He left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, followed Israelite in the tent, and killed both of them. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped. So the Lord said to Moses, this is verse 10, Phineas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites since he was as zealous for my honor among them as I am. I did not put an end to them in my zeal. Therefore, tell him I am making my covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of a lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. 
So my whole point in chasing that down is the phrase in Psalms is it was credited to him as righteousness. The parallel of that in the story is God made a covenant with him. So I think when we read the phrase, um, it was credited to somebody as righteousness, that means God is making a covenant with that person. You're becoming part of the family of God, the covenant family of God. So that means when we are justified, declared to be righteous, uh, that means we become part of God's covenant family. You follow that? That's, uh, George? Yeah. Uh, maybe you're going to go here, but that same pattern that you see in Genesis 12 or 15, where that language is spoken, those credited as righteous, followed immediately by covenant. Yeah. So you see that pattern at least twice. With yeah. That That's good. So this is uh, covenant language. Okay. So back to Romans chapter 4 now. Um, we're laying a foundation. Pyramid needs to be strong at the bottom to get to the top. So. Um, verse 4. Now to anyone who works, uh, their wage, and this is all singular in Greek, uh, the wage or the reward, um, the Greek word here is the same Greek word in the Septuagint that's used when uh, Genesis chapter 15 when God says uh, your reward will be great so um, to anyone who works their reward is not credited to them as a gift but as an obligation however to anyone who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly their faith is credited as righteousness they become part of God's family on the basis of faith David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of those to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are those whose sin against the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? So it comes in Genesis 15. Circumcision doesn't come till chapter 17. Uh, it was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So it's not even all the physical descendants of Abraham that are in the family of God now. It's all the, the Jews who have faith in the Messiah that God sent. All right, verse 13. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would inherit the world. It's important not just go to heaven, but inherit the world. But through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless. Because the law brings wrath and where there is no law, 
there is no transgression. Now, Paul's going to come back to this. Um, I'm trying to think if it's in an odd chapter or an even chapter, because that depends on who teaches it. Um, I think it's chapter 7, so that's mine. No, that's yours. Good. Good. I'm glad you get the 7 is yours. Um, the law, I mean, the, just to briefly put it on the table, um, it's, it's like an x-ray. It can show you problems, but it can't fix the problems. So the law was a gift to the Israelites because it teaches you how to live. Um, but, it, but it also means you've you got higher expectations now because you, you should really know the right way to live. Um, so something along those lines, and he's going to, it's going to come back in chapter 7. We're going to have to get into that. As you're tying in how this has to do with covenants of Abraham and who's part of the covenant, are you going to come back around to how this relates to sin? Like we get in that psalm of blesses one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, how would that be a later thing about um, sin and what the covenants do? I think it's going to come in Romans chapter 8. Okay. Um, but, I mean, he's, he's already talked about it some in Romans chapter 3. So, Yes, through Christ who died for sins that the covenant faith in that faith in what Christ did the Messiah did, the faithful Israelite did that you get your sins covered yeah so you're not getting rid of the idea of this is dealing with sin you're just you're, just to clarify you're showing how sin is also related to God's larger covenant plans that's right uh, and so we're, we're missing a part of the picture yeah, and it's, uh, as he says in Romans 1, the sin is that we have uh, transferred the worship that belongs to God and we've worshipped idols. And that worshipping of idols leads to a bad life, a life full of sin. And so that's a problem that we need, we need corrected. And uh, Christ comes as the one who is faithful. And through our faith in Christ, we get the freedom from those idols. We broke the power of the idols. Yeah. But yeah, it will come back up. Okay, verse 16. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace, and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Father Abraham had many sons. It is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that, are, that were not. So he's going to go on to say about how, what, what is it, what was Abraham's faith? And that's kind of what I want us to discuss some in the close of the class is what, what is faith? Um, what is it about Abraham and what he believed that is similar to what we have to believe or what our faith, what describes our faith? Uh, verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope. So uh, in Greek this is like uh, hope against hope. 
which I think people say that in our culture, hope against hope, comes from this passage in Romans. Um, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So as Abraham believed that he could raise a family from him, even though Abraham was as good as dead, that's, that's not something a good verse for the old folks home, maybe. Uh, <laughs> you contemplate Abraham here. This seems to be pretty generous with him. Yeah. Because he and Sarah did have some problems. Uh, yeah. At least they didn't doubt God. They just said, well, maybe he needs us to help him. That's right. And so with their help, we now have the situation that we have in the world today. Yeah. Uh, so you have Ishmael. You know, Sarah's, Sarah and... One of the chapters in between, um, I guess it's chapter 16, says, well, let's try with Hagar. And Abraham says, okay. And they have Ishmael, but God says, no, that's not the promise. So, yeah, I don't think um, faithfulness equals perfection. And I, again, I think this is a hint that yeah. helps us. It does. He did, he did have a little bit of problem, but God yeah. found it right. What, what do you have to be to be in the family of God? You have to be faithful. You don't have to be perfect. You have to be faithful. Yeah. I think the other thing on that too is could Abraham have had the faith at the end of his life if he had not gone through those experiences of doubt and mm -hmm. struggle? Interesting. And that, that made him the person of faith. Yeah. What's the opposite of faith? Maybe the opposite of faith is not doubt. Um, something else. Apathy or giving up would be the opposite of faith. George, I, yeah. I, I love the Abraham story because in fifteen, when in Genesis fifteen, when he receives the covenant, he's seventy-four years old, and he doesn't receive circumcision in seventeen until he's ninety-nine. Yeah. And for twenty-five years, he went on <coughs> still believing in God, even though God showed him no promise. Yeah. yeah he didn't have anything until I. Yeah. I think it's, that speaks volumes to the way God Yeah. Okay, let's just read the last few sentences, and then we'll, we'll get some discussion on some things here. Um, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised. So he's, he talks about, uh, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Um, so on the cross is where the sin problem was taken care of um, which allows us to have fellowship with God to be in the family of God and the resurrection is what confirmed that Jesus was the faithful Israelite you know a lot of false messiahs were crucified and killed 
but they weren't raised from the dead. So the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead is God's way of saying, this is the way, this is how my righteousness works. This was my plan to work through Jesus. And now all those who have faith in Jesus can be part of the family, part of the plan. I have to admit that it's a strange plan. Um, and maybe we would prefer it to be just a generalized, have faith, um, your sins will be forgiven, you can go to heaven when you die, very individualistic. But I think we have to recognize that that's a very modern Western approach to the world and to problems. Uh, and a lot of the world, I think, would uh, resonate more with a family approach and a community approach and maybe not be so scandalized by the particularity of God choosing Abraham and choosing Israel and this Israel-shaped redemption. Um, you know, to do anything, you have to get to specifics. If you want to build a hospital, you got to pick a certain blueprint and a certain corner to build the hospital. Even though the hospital is going to help a lot of people, you have to have some specificity to what you're doing. So this is the plan that's revealed to us in Scripture is an Israel-shaped plan of redemption uh, that works all the way down to Jesus as a faithful Israelite who is crucified by the Romans and puts to death the powers of the world at the time through that surprising uh, power of death uh, on a cross. So that's, that's the plan. Um, I, we're all used to that. As, yeah, of course that's a plan. What are, you, what are you surprised by? But it just, I don't know, all different ways you could have set it up, set it up that way. Like, okay, well, it's kind of strange. But um, what I like about reading Romans this way is it shows that, you know, the Old Testament is part of our story too. So this isn't, the church isn't just a brand new story. It's a new chapter in, a, in an ongoing story. Uh, so you got to read that first two-third chunk of that book. Um, okay. Um, Josh, you want to interject anything at this point? Yeah. Um, observation. So, in our other, in the last class, I tried to show from Romans three that part of the um, part of what Paul is showing that we have to deal with is with sin is both uh, that we have a guilt problem or a debt problem, but also a vocational problem. So we're slaves to sin. So we're trying to deal with both the guilt of sin and also with sin holding us back from the vocation we were meant to have. What George has done really helpfully um, is to show how the guilt and the enslavement to sin uh, God has been, he started to deal with through Abraham and through the covenant. So that covenant, uh, as George is showing, is related, what God was doing through the covenant with Abraham is related to that kind of two-piece problem. How do we become part of this covenant community in which our sin is dealt with so that we can be who we were meant to be? So I wanted to read this um, from uh, N.T. Wright as he brings together these two ideas and how they're found in Abraham. Because the problem that we saw back in Romans 1, uh, that people aren't who they're supposed to be, they're sinning, they're not living up to their calling, 
what you see is, is Abraham is reversing that. He is the opposite of the problem in Romans 1, so we're maybe seeing some of what God is doing with Abraham. So uh, let me give you an example of this. Humans ignored God, the creator. This is Romans 1. And what does Abraham do? Abraham believes in God as creator and life giver. Um, humans knew about God's power but didn't worship him as God, Romans 1. Abraham does the opposite. Abraham recognized God's power, God's power and trusted him to use it. Back to chapter 1. Human beings did not give the glory he was due. Romans 1.21. Abraham gave God the glory, Romans 4.20. Human beings dishonored their own bodies by worshiping beings that were not divine, Romans 1. Abraham, Romans 4, through worshiping the God who gives new life, found that his own body regained its power even though he was long past the age for fathering children. So, this problem of sin, of not being who we were meant to be, uh, God is dealing with through his covenant community, and Abraham models this for us. He is the reverse of the brokenness of humanity. As humanity was turning from God and turning from their calling, Abraham is turning to God and turning to that calling. And through that process, even though he's stumbling and tripping along the way, it prepares the way for the truly faithful uh, Israelite Jesus, uh, whose death and resurrection makes it possible for us to be part of this covenant. Is that yeah, that's really good. tying together what we've covered? Yeah. So I want to throw out a discussion question about, uh, so why faith? And what is it about, you know, what is it about faith that makes it the marker of the covenant? Um, so Abraham believed this crazy promise that even though he was almost 100 years old, he was going to have a baby. So is faith believing anything? Uh, the technical term for that is fideism, and it's usually a negative thing. Fideism is just you'll believe anything, and that's what we're called to do, just even no matter how crazy, you should believe it. Is So I, I kind of want to throw that out to get the thoughts of some people in here about what real faith calls us to believe. Yeah. Yeah. So faith isn't just closing your eyes and believing a crazy story intellectually. It has to be a lived out faith. Genesis 12 calls him to leave his family and country. So the word trust, I think, is a word that came into play in many of the uh, translations. He didn't have Google with Street View to see which country he was going to have to look. (laughs) He literally yeah. picked up and left, trusting. So that, that's a that's a much more active uh, yeah. kind of uh, word and, and picture for me. Yeah. Good. Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. And that possibly that means shalom for all things, not just people. And if you are a person of faith, you have a, a, a tiny, a, a very tiny a, amount of ability to act on that possibility. Yeah. That's great. That's great. So with Phineas, this wasn't very peaceful. His, his faith. Because he saw that things weren't going the way they should be going, yeah, caused him to <coughs> act out very yeah. violently. And true shalom is when justice is is done. When um, I want us uh, before we get to the very end, look at James chapter two. I know we're at the very end, but um, understanding Romans this way has helped me with James. Because I used to think they contradicted, that James contradicted Paul. But now I don't, I don't think they do. So look at James chapter 2, verse, let's start with verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, that people claim to have faith but have no works? Can such faith save them? So this is the kind of faith that says, hey, yeah, I believe, I believe in this stuff. But it doesn't, that faithfulness, there's no faithfulness there. It's just a belief. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep, be warmed and fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by deeds, by works, is dead. But some will say, You have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God, good, even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without works is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his works were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that people are justified by what they do, by works, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So um, I can kind of see tension there with Paul, if you understand Paul. But Paul, by works, isn't talking about doing good things. His works are circumcision, food laws, Sabbath keeping, the works of the Torah that mark, that distinguish Jews from Gentiles. And he's saying, we're not saved by those, by circumcision anymore. Uh, Since Christ came and fulfilled the law, now we're saved through faith in the Messiah. And because we're saved by faith in the Messiah, that means Jews and Gentiles are all together. Paul would agree with what James says here. Wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, you've got to be faithful. And that's going to come up in Romans chapter 8 where we receive the Spirit. The Spirit helps us to live a faithful life. <coughs> the obedience that comes from faith. Yeah. Very good. Thank you very much for being here today.
NIV is is excellent. Is it? And everything okay. you said, original NIV is perfect. Oh, really? Yeah. 